Acts 1, verses 11 to 26. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He he was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Acheldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to 11 apostles. This is God's word. Mike, thanks for reading. Uh, Good morning to you. My name is Matt uh, Fuller. If we've not met, it'd be lovely, really. I mean that uh, to do so uh, afterwards. Uh, Do please come up and say hello. And if you are joining us today, we started in the book of Acts uh, last week. We got as far as, uh, well, verse 11. So that's where we're picking up today. Uh, Verse 12, and on we go. Let me lead us in prayer as we look at this together. Great God and Father, we thank you that in your wisdom you were very careful to appoint witnesses to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, to all that he taught during his ministry. And we have the record of what they taught. Father, you didn't want to leave us in doubt that these events were true. So again, by your word, be at work persuading us once again of the truthfulness, the glory, the beauty of your word, we pray. Amen. Now, if we were here last week, we did start to say that Acts is a, it's a book written to give us confidence. That's Luke's aim. He began in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 4, saying, look, I've written this book, and Acts is book 2. I've written this so you may know for certain that these events are true. You can have absolute certainty that Jesus Christ is risen, And that he's building his kingdom. And it will grow. Certainty. Even when there are setbacks, personally, or or setbacks in the church. Even when, I don't know, ministers betray you. Even if Jesus' kingdom looks very weak. 
It's unstoppable. Uh, and nothing causes surprise to Jesus. Now, there are plenty of things that may cause you to wobble uh, as a Christian in the Christian life. Um, when when I, I became a Christian in my university days, one of the key characters in sort of helping me understand what was true and, and encouraging me to read the Bible, uh, she was a sort of persistent irritant. She was the first person who said to me, what happens to you when you die? I said, I don't know, you must find out. Uh, and she sort of nagged away at me and, uh, and helped me become a Christian, really. Uh, I haven't seen her a long while. I'm told she's nowhere. And you think, oh. Oh, but she was the one who was sort of fairly key in, in, in me becoming a Christian. But now, oh, is that, is that unsettling? Does that, she doesn't hold it's true now. Now, don't be surprised, Luke would say. Those things have always happened. They will always happen. Jesus is building his kingdom, and it's always through adversity. If you, well, eventually, over not all this year, we'll, take, we'll come off and on to the book of Acts. But as we work our way through it over a couple of years or so, you read through it, and Christians experience relentless setbacks in the growth of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Relentless persecution. It's going well, they get scattered. There's famine, there's shipwreck, there is imprisonment, there are trials. It's hardship all the way in the book of Acts, and yet Jesus' kingdom grows. So don't be surprised. Now, if you were here last time, we saw that Jesus was uh, risen, he's reigning, he'll return, and it's quite an exciting introduction in chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Next week, we get to chapter 2, Pentecost, one of the most decisive days in the whole of history, and it is electric. Uh, I mean, just spectacular events take place. It's an unrepeatable day. For the first time in history, God sends his spirit to dwell within his church permanently. For the first time in history, God sends his spirit to dwell within individuals. Every single Christian has God dwelling within them by his spirit. It's fantastic. And in between the very interesting introduction and the electric chapter two, we have today's passage. And it's all about the appointment to a new committee mem- of a new committee member. And that's very exciting for you and for me. And yet it's recorded for us. Why? Again, I think it must be to stress the unstoppable growth of Jesus' kingdom. There are a couple of things that are emphasized as had to happen. So verse 16, Peter stands up and says, verse 16, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, that had to happen, and therefore I've got to tell you about it. And the other thing is verse 21. Peter again says, therefore it is necessary to choose another apostle. Actually, it's the same word, verse 16 and verse 21. It was necessary or it had to happen. And it's one of Luke's favorite words in the book of Acts. Little Greek word, day, D-E-I. It is necessary. It had to happen 22 times in the book of Acts. This had to happen, this had to happen, this had to happen, this had to happen. Because, well, God has a plan. Um, Various things have to happen to fill in with his plan. So look, I I think we understand why it's here, if we understand why these two things had to happen. That's why God has recorded it for us. So that's what we're going to do. The scripture had to be fulfilled. And a twelfth apostle had to be chosen. We'll take them into now. The scripture had to be fulfilled. That is Jesus, Judas's rather, excuse me, Judas's betrayal had to happen. Because you've got to know this, growth of the kingdom is in adversity. You've got to know that. And then secondly, the 12th apostle had to be chosen 
because the foundation of the kingdom is the 12 apostles. And you've got to know that. Okay, those are the two things you've got to know. The growth of the kingdom will always face adversity. The foundation of the kingdom is these 12. You've got to know those two things, says Luke. Let's take the bed. First, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Let me pick it up from verse, uh, uh, well, verse 12, you get the list of the uh, apostles. Their names are important. We'll come back to that. Verse 15, let's pick it up there. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group of numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Now you can see that Judas might be a little bit of an embarrassment for these remaining 11 apostles and the gang of 120. A little bit embarrassing because, well, the claim is, of course, that Jesus is God, God himself. And yet Jesus chose a bloke who betrayed him. Didn't he know? Was he supposed to get such things? That's a bit embarrassing. And, uh, well, look, everyone knows about this. Verse 18, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open. His intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. Now, they all knew what happened to Judas. I mean, Jesus, of course, was the talk of the town, and his death was the biggest news they'd known in ages. And everyone knew what had happened to Judas. So, look, oh, you're the remaining 11 disciples. But one of your number, he was the dodgy one, wasn't he? Yeah, you lot, you're all corrupt, aren't you? You ministers, you're all corrupt. You can see how the accusations could come. And so Peter says, no, this is always planned. Very striking what he says, verse 16. Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. Huh? We had Psalm 69 read earlier. Did you see Judas's name in it? Well, let me tell you, you did not. It's not there. Psalm 69 and the, the, the other we've got here, Psalm 109, they're written by King David a thousand years earlier. King David, real historical figure, king of Israel. Where's Judas? And yet Peter here says, it's all about Judas. It's concerning him, ultimately, and Judas's betrayal of Jesus. I don't think we should be too surprised that Peter can make this deduction. Jesus has spent 40 days teaching all the apostles. Let me tell you how the the Old Testament is fulfilled in me. So we shouldn't be too surprised. But that is the case. All the events of the Old Testament are meant to prepare us for Jesus. Even though it wasn't obvious at the time. Let me see if this works for any of you. The, um, a couple of weeks ago, I invested a couple of pounds in uh, the 1984 classic, The Karate Kid. I determined that this was a film that culturally all members of my family should observe. And um, so I've invested in it. It ages okay-ish, uh, if I'm honest. Now, uh, for those of you who remember the film and seen the film, there is only probably one line you can remember from the film. 
Yeah, yeah, you're really there. No, no, you're even all doing it. That's fantastic. This is sort of everyone's doing this at me. It's very nice. Uh, that's right. That's right. So, of course, the plot of the film, uh, this scrawny little boy, and he's tiny. How he defeated anyone, I don't understand. This scrawny little boy, Daniel, is trained by Mr. Miyagi, uh, the karate master, to, uh, to compete. Uh, and uh, he says, will you do anything, Daniel-san? You will do everything I say. Yes, I will do everything. Uh, and so Daniel San obeys everything that Mr. Miyagi says. And of course, first of all, he says, you wax my car. Right, you wax on, right hand. You wax off, left hand. And he does that for a few days. You paint my house. You go up, right hand. You go down. You go up, left hand. You go down. And it's all very boring. And then he has to wax, um, sand the decking. You sand right hand and you sand left hand. And then he paints something else. Can't quite remember. The garage, that's it. Uh, back and forth. And of course, it reaches the point where Daniel says, stuff this. I want to learn karate, and you idle old man, you just got me doing all your chores. And of course, if you've seen the film, Mr. Miyagi has been building Daniel's muscle memory. So when he then starts uh, attacking him, Daniel would wax on, wax off, sand on, sand off. And he just automatically does these things because his muscle memory has been developed so very well. Ah, Mr. Miyagi, yeah, that's pretty good. Um... <laughs> Uh, and uh, amazingly, four other films out of that extraordinary. <laughs> All of them progressively uh, worse and worse. But um, what was going on there? He was teaching him these things. And he thought, well, okay, this is all right. I'm doing these chores. He didn't realize that ultimately there was a much greater purpose in what he was being taught. Anyway, the whole of the Old Testament is wax on and wax off. It's all preparing God's people. So ultimately they say, oh, I see. When King David was betrayed, that happened, it's real. But it was teaching us to expect that Jesus would be betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of the disciples who was with him. So Peter can say, verse 20, yeah. Psalm 69 was ultimately always about Jesus being betrayed by Judas. Psalm 109 ultimately was preparing us for the fact that Judas had to be replaced. All very well and good. Now, you and I, we might say to ourselves, well, that's interesting and nice. Why? Why do it that way? Why have a Judas who portrays Jesus and train people through the Old Testament to expect it? Well, I think it must be at least these two reasons. One, it'll always be the case that the Messiah, Jesus, faces hostility and people who appear loyal fall away. But secondly, God's plan is unstoppable. When I became a Christian, uh, the outstanding leader in this country, who many remember as Roy Clements, he was viewed as the, the outstanding Bible teacher, preacher, he was at the top of every conference list. He was the one man who could gather all the different tribes of evangelicalism together. Everyone respected Roy. Didn't matter which churchmanship he really came from. He could get them all together, launch new conferences. And then in 1999, he threw it away. He said, actually, I don't believe the scriptures in this way anymore. And for many who had, I mean, hundreds, thousands have become Christians under his ministry in Cambridge. I became a Christian and read all his books and listened to his tapes, tapes, tapes. And it was devastating. It was really shocking. Not him. 
But you read this and think, well, no, we shouldn't be radically surprised. It won't be the first who betrays Jesus. It won't be the last. But God's plan carries on throughout this. No surprises. The scripture had to be fulfilled. You've got to know that Jesus is betrayed, but his kingdom still keeps on going. Secondly, I spend a bit more time here. A twelfth apostle had to be chosen. Verse 21. Peter says, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Okay. We've lost an apostle. We're down to 11. We need another one. Because what's magic about the number 12? The band just feels a bit flat without uh, number 12. You've got to have a 12th man to bring on the drinks when you're tired. What's magic about the number 12, I guess, is the obvious question. Uh, later on in, in the book of Acts, James, the James listed here, James is killed. He's not replaced. So there is something unique about this moment. It's the only time when if you lose an apostle, you have to hire another one. Appoint another one. There's something special or unique about this moment. It's a unique episode. What's the big deal? Okay, just technical few minutes. Stick with it. Jesus had appointed 12 apostles. And we're told in Luke 6, it's his replacement. The nation of Israel had had 12 tribes. But they hadn't followed the Lord. And you get Jesus appointing 12 apostles as a replacement, as a new Israel. And he tells them later on in uh, Luke 22, I've put a couple of verses, uh, you can read them rather than turn them up. He tells his apostles, disciples, I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There it is in Luke 22, verse 29. 12 apostles replacing the 12 tribes of Israel. So there is something special about the number 12. Because the number 12 is a united nation. So on the day of Pentecost, when all the nations are gathered together, representatively, everyone is there. And there are 12. And it has to be that number. And so in chapters 1 to 7 of the book of Acts, and I've put the little structure down right at the bottom in the table, you can read it if you want. But in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, all the preaching is to Israel. And you need... 12 apostles replacing the 12 tribes to witness to Israel. Then in the rest of the book of Acts, the gospel goes out beyond Israel, so you don't need them anymore. The work of the 12 apostles witnessing to the 12 tribes is done. So it's a unique moment in history. Okay. Let's look at, uh, I guess, more practically for you and me. What were the criteria for being an apostle? There seemed to be three uh, in verses 21 to 24. One, you've got to, be, got to have been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, from uh, John's baptism, verse 22, to the time when Jesus was taken up. You've got to be an eyewitness and an ear witness. You've got to have seen Jesus and heard his teaching. Okay, that, that's the first criteria. Uh, secondly, you've got to have been a witness of the resurrection, end of verse 22. And thirdly, you've got to be chosen personally by Jesus. That's the point of this lot casting. You see it is in verse 24. They, the people, the, 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 uh, the apostles prayed, Lord, 
You know everyone's heart. It's a lovely little phrase, literally, Lord, you are heart seer. Show us which of these two you have chosen. Past tense. Already. So we're going to cast lots. It's not an election. It's not just tossing a coin. It is revealed to us which one you have chosen. So those are the three criteria. You've got to be with Jesus for the whole of his ministry, heard his teaching. You've got to be a witness to his resurrection. And you've got to be personally chosen by Jesus. At the risk of stating something obvious, there is no one like these 12. And you don't get any one like these 12 today. Let me try and draw three practical comments out of this. Uh, the first is one negative, two positive. The negative is this. Uh, you read this passage, you think, oh, is this how we make decisions? Probably not. Okay. Probably not a model for decision making. In one sense, what they do is, is a useful plan. In the sense they search the scriptures, they do that. And, uh, uh, and then um, they use common sense. Okay, we've got these scriptures, let's work out some criteria. They pray. All of those are good things to do. You've got a decision to make, search the scriptures, use your common sense, pray. But the casting of lots, while Matthias had to be personally chosen by Jesus Christ as one of his 12 apostles, and not many decisions you and I make at that level. Whether we shop at Tesco's or Sainsbury's is not of that level. Okay. Whether we buy a house or rent a house is not of that level. It's just not that significant. So in that sense, it's not a way of making decisions. Search the scriptures, they do that, yes. Use common sense, yes. Pray, yes. Cast lots, no. No, not a way of making sensible decisions. I bet you last week I've enjoyed rereading uh, the 80s, I'm going to call it a classic, I, I, I don't care what you think, uh, spoof, uh, Christian book, the, the Sacred Diary of Adrian Plass, I still think it's quite funny. Uh, there's one point where he's got a decision to make, and uh, he's, he's promised that he's going to be part of the, the, the carol singers, it's December, he's going to be part of the carol singing gang on Friday night. And then his mate says, do you want to come and see the Bond film with me? And he's in a quandary and he's umming and ahhing. Well, I've said I'll do that, but really, I'd quite like to go and see, quite like to go and do this if I'm honest. Uh, and so he gets himself worked up. He says, Ah, I should ask the Lord for guidance. That's obviously what I should do. And so he prays, Lord, if I'm meant to go carol singing on Friday night, can you make a four foot tall Japanese man knock on my door between the hours of five and seven this evening? And he says afterwards, The Lord did not send such a man. And so now my conscience is clear. I am clearly meant to go to Bond and not join the carol singers. Well, he slightly loaded the dice there, you might think. I'm not sure how many four-foot-tall Japanese men are going to knock on your door between five and seven. He slightly... Don't make decisions like that. Common sense. Search the scriptures. Pray. It's a good way of making decisions. So this is the first. This is not, that's a negative thing to say. This is not a model for decision-making. Uh, sometimes people get a bit confused on that. Let me say two more useful things in one sense. The second will be this. We're meant to take away the apostles are reliable witnesses. Witness is a technical word in the book of Acts. You're only a witness if you've seen the risen Christ. You've seen Jesus risen from the dead. So in Acts language, you and I cannot witness because we haven't seen him physically. So it starts all the way back in chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, You'll be my witnesses. It goes all the way to chapter 28. The Apostle Paul is witnessing uh, in Rome. 
Uh, 11 times, witness means that in the book. You've seen the risen Jesus. So just observe what care that the early church took with appointing formal witnesses. The names are listed. The thoroughness with which they went about making this decision mattered. Because the point is you can trust these witnesses. You can build your life upon these witnesses. The Lord wants us to know how seriously this process was taken. You don't you can trust. Third, let me say this and try and explain what I mean. If we take this seriously, we're, we're an apostolic church and a Pentecostal church. Do you like that? You may not have realized. We're an apostolic church and a Pentecostal church. Let me explain what I mean. Certainly we'll be a Pentecostal church. Uh, next week, we'll look at uh, chapter 2 of Acts and uh, the book of, uh, excuse me, the day of Pentecost. Jesus pours out his spirit upon the church. Just glance ahead and we'll see the sort of things that take place. So it's very dramatic, chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, all of them, these 120, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to. We're told, verse 8, that that is speaking in multiple languages all at the same time. We don't know how that can possibly be, but anyway, that's taking the place. And um, Peter says, look, I'll tell you what's taking place here, chapter 2, verse 18. It's the fulfillment of what God promised in Joel, chapter 2, verse 18. Even servants, men and women I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. What you get on the day of Pentecost is this. The miracle of Pentecost is every Christian can speak God's word. That's the miracle of Pentecost. Every Christian has God's spirit dwelling within them and can share the message of Jesus. You don't have to wait for the priests, the prophets, the kings. Every Christian, old, young, male, female, servant, master, Everyone. And throughout the book of Acts, whenever there's a reference to being filled with the Spirit, if you're filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts, you proclaim Jesus boldly. Those just two things go hand in hand all the time. Chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 8, chapter 4, verse 31, 6, verse 10, 9, 17, 13, 9, always that way. If you're filled with the Spirit in Acts, you proclaim Jesus boldly. That's what he does. That's the Spirit's work in this book. So biblically, that's what a Pentecostal Christian is. One who is filled with God's spirit and proclaims the word or teaches about Jesus boldly. That's a Pentecostal Christian. So all of us, if you're a believer here today, you're Pentecostals in the biblical sense of the word. But before we get to chapter two, before we're told that we're Pentecostal, the end of chapter one says all Christians are apostolic We're here reminded that we, the only Jesus we speak about is the Jesus that the apostles reveal. We're an apostolic church. Our faith is grounded in the 12 apostles because they're the foundations of the church and grounded in their teaching because they are eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus and they're earwitnesses. They heard him authoritatively. So if you leave the teaching of the apostles, you leave Jesus Christ. Apostles is not just messengers. It's, it, it's official delegates. It's ambassador representing him. 
Let me make this point in a slightly awkward fashion. Sorry. Uh, I received a couple of weeks ago uh, a load of flyers, a stack of flyers uh, that I was meant to give out uh, to the church, about 100 of them or so. It's for a series of lectures on the Reformation from a very large uh, Anglican church in central London. It was a bit of a surprise to me because as they would not be known by reputation as liking the theology of a Martin Luther, a, a John Calvin, a, uh, a Thomas Cranmer. In fact, they'd be known to be quite hostile to their theology. So it was a bit of a surprise to see they're doing a series of lectures on the Reformation. But then you open the flyer and, oh, okay, I see. So 500 years since the Reformation began. Okay. And then the lectures are reforming marriage. Reforming our unity with other faiths. Reforming scripture. Oh. Now, the Reformation 500 years ago was a return to the teaching of the apostolic scriptures. To say we're giving a series of lectures on the Reformation and go in completely the opposite direction. Say we're going to reform scripture. We're going to reform what the Bible says about marriage and we're going to reform what it says about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's, that's terrible. It's terrible to try and associate that with the Reformation. If you can read through this, all the speakers are very brilliant. And I know some of them personally. They're delightful people. So I'd want that to be known. Um, you can read it and it'll tell you that Dr. X is a widely known preacher, pastor, writer, broadcaster, theologian, has published over 20 books, or a Reverend Wise, a long-standing contributor to Thought for the Day, has honorary doctorates from this and that university. But the problem is if you move on from the apostolic teaching, you've moved on from Jesus Christ. And so you're nowhere. And that's why this is here. This is what the church was built upon. The 12 apostles, the authoritative delegates of Jesus Christ. Or, or let me just put it in a more, because it's a slightly awkward way of putting it. Let me put it, try perhaps a little more positively. When we have the scriptures and the apostolic scriptures, they are the window through which we see God. So if you're a Christian, we don't really love the scriptures as such. We love the Lord. And they are the window through which we see him. And a bit like if you've got a window of a magnificent view. You may be on holiday uh, and you look out and you've got this glorious window and out of it you see uh, beautiful mountain ranges and uh, every morning you pull back the curtains, uh, that's beautiful, or this sort of a magnificent beachside view and you go, uh, that's lovely. Whenever you draw back the curtains and, and the window allows you to see the thing which is absolutely beautiful. And what you don't want is someone coming with a load of black paint and painting over the window. You say, what are you doing? You're ruining my view. I can't see the thing that's beautiful anymore. And if you destroy the scriptures and move on from them, you're painting over the window and you can't see the beauty of God anymore. But don't do that. Leave the window clear so that we can see the glory of God, the beauty of God. So you don't move on from the apostolic scriptures. A twelfth apostle had to be chosen because the point was being made, these, these are my authoritative ones. You trust these men. They're official witnesses. They've seen my resurrection. They've been with me, seen all I've heard, and seen, heard all I taught. I have appointed them. There are no more like these. You trust these. Why is this little bit of the Bible here? Acts 1, verses 12 to 26. Why did these things have to happen? 
Well, I think for those two reasons. Scripture had to be fulfilled about opposition to Jesus so we're not thrown when disloyalty comes. We're not thrown when prominent people say, I'm not sure anymore. I think that's why it's there. But even more so, it's there and we see the 12th apostle being chosen so we understand the unique place these 12 had in the foundation of the church. You get the way to, all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation 21. And in picture language, God's city descends. And in God's city, it's built upon 12 foundations. And on every foundation is the name of one of the 12 apostles. Again, it's not, it's not a subtle point. The church is built upon these 12 the apostolic witness. You can build your life on them. So next week is electric, I think, uh, chapter two of Acts. Um, If you Googled, I don't know if you ever did the thing, how many sermons are there on Acts two? A gazillion. How many are there on Acts one? 10% of a gazillion. I have no idea what that means. But uh, everyone likes to preach on Acts two. It's electric. Why is this bit here? Because before before you're Pentecostal Christians that speak boldly about Jesus Christ filled with the Spirit. We're apostolic Christians. We speak of this Jesus, the one he's recorded for us. And you can build your life upon that. And Luke wants you to be certain that it's true. Let's pray together.